This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. He's a dog. He has fleas. I know, but it's like, scratch him. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season seven, episode 16 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Will You Be My Lorelai Gilmore? As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Storyteller. Interesting matchup. Kind of emotional episodes a little bit. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about these in depth with you, Brian Morris. Uh, me too, Stacey Kula. We're going full names all week this week. Yeah, except for middles. <laughs> except for middles. <laughs> you don't want to go there. Right, like, especially if we met, like, Kate Middleton, not even, she's just Kate. That's, that's a terrible joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> not her middle name. She'd no, that's, I, we, just, we didn't say middles, did we? We said, well, didn't okay, say middle so name. Her name would be Kate Tun, because we're we not didn't doing say, middles. <laughs> we didn't say middle names. I said no middles. Okay. Isn't there an, uh, a male actor with a middle, his last name's middle? I can't think. Thomas Middle Ditch. That's what I was thinking. So he'd just be Tom Ditch. We're getting rid of the Thomas, too? If he wants to be Thomas Ditch, fine. <laughs> Tommy Ditch. <laughs> Guys, what have we been up to? We just watched John Wick, which was fun. Great choreography. It's just so fun watching those kind of fight scenes. John Wick 4, to be clear. Yes. We didn't do two or three. We're not doing middles. <laughs> <laughs> We've watched them all. We've seen them all. You could say what you want about the plots or the fact that John Wick's dialogue could fit on an index card. <laughs> I think we need to make a TikTok series about... John Wick's wife trying to talk to him and him giving her absolutely nothing. I don't think his wife was as in love with him as he thought she was. She was probably scared of him because he could kill anybody. <laughs> he literally has like five words he rotates. When they give him a little bit longer line, it's it's bad. He doesn't know how to read the lines in a human way. I feel like Kiana was like, listen, I don't want to do a bunch of dialogue anymore. <laughs> like yeah. People are going to go to this movie. The action sequences are amazing. I'm going to fight real good. And do a lot of crazy things with my legs. Keep my mouth out of it. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea that it's like a discussion, like a negotiation. It's not about money. It's just about how much dialogue he'll do in the movie. <laughs> he like slips a piece of paper back. It says five lines. Like... <laughs> We've also been watching a new show. I don't think it's new. Maybe the season one came out like last year. I don't know. It's an MGM show. I don't know what. MGM Plus is a thing. There's too many things. There's too many streamings. Like, I don't even know what they are anymore. Just make one thing. I'll pay a hundred bucks a month for it. Just put it all in one place. Yeah, it's just, there's so just many. Just go back to cable. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be like, all right, just put it on cable. I'm fine with it. But I want to watch it when I want to watch it, not when it's 11 or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's too many things. There's too many ways to bundle. I don't know anymore. We sound old, but I think everyone probably agrees. It's complicated. Yeah, I mean, did you know there was an MGM streaming service? Well, the show we're watching is called From. Yes. Brian heard that Stephen King loves it. That's why we're watching it, because it's endorsed by Stephen King. And it's pretty good. It's it's very like if Lost were a horror show as opposed to like a sci-fi mystery show. Yeah. And because it's not on network television, it's very gory. It is uh, in a way that I like. I, I like gory and I'm into it. But it's surprising sometimes. You're like, oh, we just showed that. Okay. 
There's a lot of, um, I feel like this isn't a spoiler because this is like pretty early in the first episode. The bad creature seems similar to the first in some ways. Mm-hmm, sure. And that they're like this maybe evil entity pretending to be good to trick you. And maybe they're dead people. I don't know if that's true or not. We haven't really figured that out yet. The only thing I'll say about the show is that it's it's one of those things that you see in a lot of movies and even books do this a lot too where mm. they're not giving the characters information they definitely would in real life. Like they're just sitting on it because they want the audience to wonder the answer to the mystery and keep tuning in. Yeah, yeah. It's basically some newcomers show up and they really want to know the answers. But all the other characters that have been in this place for a while are like, we'll get to that soon. It's like, no, you'd probably get to that night one, like all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you would tell me everything there's to know. There'd probably be a pamphlet with all the information. Yeah, so that, that's pretty funny. But uh, I will say the show, I can't tell you how good it's going to be, but we're like six episodes in, and, and I'm into it. Yeah, I think season two has just started coming out. If you know how to find MGM+, Plus, give it a shot. If you were like Lost needed more violence and gore, then this is this is your thing. It's not like constant gore. It's It's kind of more like a mystery but the thing that's happening is pretty real and vicious. Yeah, and the gore is more like after the fact sort of gore. You, it's not like you're watching a grizzly bear kill somebody. But yeah, like, you we definitely see the aftermath. We see what happened when that bear got that guy. Yeah, I agree. And so it's it's palatable. It's not like watching torture, like a saw film or something. Right, like that. right, right, right. Anyway, we're going way off topic. It was just an interesting show. Maybe they're vampires. Who knows? I don't know what these things are. We'll find don't out. Don't tell us if you've seen it. Yeah, don't tell us. Your big MGM Plus heads. Watch all their content. <laughs> well, it's Metro Gold Mayor, so I think like any movie made by them, you know, with the big lion at the beginning, mm-hmm. is like on this network as well. Like Top Gun's on there. We're watching it on Amazon Prime, but they're taking it off in like four days, so we're trying to binge the first season. <laughs> it's funny that a lot of these streaming services are just like taking off some of their shows. Oh my god, yeah. HBO or Max, whatever you want to call it now. I don't know why they're rebranding this far into their legacy. But Max is taking off Westworld, which is like a flagship show for them. So I'm like, you're just taking that. What? That was like a big show for you. Where You can't buy that. Can you get DVDs of Westworld? Maybe. And Disney Plus is taking off Willow, the Willow reboot they just made, which I heard was horrible. Yeah, but it was like a huge deal. As well as Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which season two of that just came out. We didn't watch season two. We started to. And we're like, this isn't. Season one wasn't. Good. We just season one was sort of like I can't believe we watched that, but some nostalgia nugget in our brain allowed us to. Mm-hmm. We went on a deep dive into Mighty Ducks content for some reason one night, and we just couldn't stop. Lauren Graham is in that, if you guys don't remember. But season two, we were like, we're not going to watch it. And apparently no one else did to the point where Disney was like, we're just removing the show we just made. It seems wild because it just was on there. Yeah. Anyway, that is weird that networks are doing that. Things are weird right now for TV. But... We're talking about old shows today. Shows that have passed, they've come and gone, they're no longer with us. Shows that are very old but are still on streaming services. Yeah, people love them. Before we get into shows, we also need to talk about five-star reviews. I think we have a couple. Yes. I want to thank everybody who gives us five-star reviews on any platform. It is really appreciated. We really, really, really do appreciate it. It is funny because sometimes we'll get people be like, hey, you didn't give me a shout-out. I gave you guys a five-star review on Scott's blog forward slash podcast reviews dot biz. And we're like, okay, well, I, we weren't checking that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're learning places where they exist. But it, I don't always remember to check Scott's blog slash podcast reviews dot biz every week so I mean, thank I you so much for publishing our podcast <laughs> scott's blog 
but we do we really do appreciate anywhere you post it thank you yes. it's just it's funny I'm like oh i didn't even know this site existed we just okay. apologize if it's on a delay because it, it's hard yes. to now i'm learning where they are but it, it's hard to remember to check all those every week because there's no like notification of any kind for any of these but apple Podcasts is easy to find and we have some reviews on apple Podcasts. we do thank you so much to felice sar as well as ryu and m from canada thank you from facebook shout out to grace perez paul kamenitsky and karen barr thank you and also special shout outs to michael may and victoria patapan you know what you did <laughs> are we thanking them for what they did or did, we are what they did bad okay no thank it's you. What they did was great. You know what you did, and we like it. (laughs) Stacey just told me what you guys did. Thank you. (laughs) If anybody else wants to know, you don't get to. You do what they did, and then we'll tell you. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I like this. It's a weird little scavenger hunt. Should we get into our shows, Brian? Let's get into these shows. Okay. This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about Will You Be My Lorelai Gilmore? So this episode is about Lane's baby shower. Luke deciding to change his entire character and <laughs> the fallout from Logan's business deal gone awry and also something to do with Rory's career. We'll get to that. The episode starts with Rory and Lorelai preparing for Lane's baby shower. So far, they have 40 people coming to the party and they've purchased 60 onesies, blank onesies, you know, like little outfits babies wear that are just one outfit. One of the events at the baby shower is going to be anyone who comes gets to draw on or paint on these onesies to decorate it for Lane's babies. But Rory's afraid that they're not going to have enough onesies, even though that's more than 40, because of the first pancake phenomenon, which she Mm -hmm. explains is how, you know, every time you make pancakes, you always have to throw the first one out because you inevitably will always burn it because you weren't gauging how hot the pan was. So she's afraid everyone's going to mess up on their first onesie. And this is like a running bit throughout the show of her first pancake phenomenon. Yeah, it was cute because she said like she didn't want to fail again, like Lane's bachelorette party. Where they ended up in Brian's aunt's basement. And yeah. And Lorelai's like, well, yeah, that was your first pancake. Yeah. But then as they're talking, Rory gets a surprise phone call. If you guys remember, Rory has been writing pieces for Hugo, the guy she met at Logan's party, and been putting it on his website. And he has put her in touch with a high-ranking editor at the New York Times that she called and left a message asking if they could meet for coffee and she could kind of pick his brain. There's a fellowship coming up at the New York Times that's going to select four people, and she's hoping she might be able to get her foot in the door and get selected. It's a long shot, but maybe. Well, that's the guy who's calling her back. So Rory answers the phone, and she's all kind of stammering, like, yeah, uh, hi, thank you, hi. uh, Yeah, I would love to meet tomorrow. Of course I'm going to be in New York. And the guy is like, yeah, you can meet me for coffee tomorrow. She's ecstatic. This scene's kind of cool because I think Lauren Graham plays it pretty well where she's like excited for whatever Rory's doing on the phone. She can tell it's important because of the way Rory's sort of stammering. Maybe it's her TA. That's what she's the same kind of Mm -hmm. awkward dialogue. So she's pumped. She's going to go to New York, have this meeting. That doesn't leave her a lot of time to prepare for Lane's shower. But Lorelai's like, you know what? She insists that she will prep for Lane's shower so Rory can go focus on her coffee outing with this New York Times guy. So Rory heads to Logan's apartment in New York so she can prepare there and be ready to easily meet the guy the next day because Logan lives in New York. That night, though, at 3 a.m., Logan comes home very drunk, so drunk that he can't even make a sandwich. And he's very upset that Rory put bread in the fridge. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I hate cold bread. We've been putting ours in the fridge. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I think it preserves it a little longer. And especially if you're going to toast it, it's fine. You could even throw it in the toaster just to warm it up a little bit. Yeah. He also throws mustard at her and tells her to keep it closed because they're going to need it for the sandwiches. What? Why he's she- very drunk. <laughs> yes, but like that doesn't make any sense. It's a man thing, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've I've known this guy. I've seen drunk boyfriend come home, try to come up with something to make from the fridge. 
<laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you making pizza out of tortilla chips and shredded cheese and like taco sauce. <laughs> that sounds like nachos, boo. <laughs> I think you thought it was pizza, though. It was good. <laughs> Rory is not happy that Drogon is. Drogon from uh, Lord of the Rings. She's no. not happy he's here. He's got all his horses. From Game of Thrones is the word I was looking for. Rory is not happy and is pissed that Logan uh, has been MIA all night. She's been calling him. He hasn't answered his phone. He's all like, it was on off. I guess that's just like the writers for men and Gilmore Girls is like, yeah, men are not communicative because they shut their phones off when they're mad. You didn't need your phone as much back then. It's true. Although Logan seems to. She's, of course, upset. Like, she's got a very important day tomorrow, and he has woke her up now. And she starts making the sandwich for him, not as a favor, but because he's being obnoxious. He gets mad that she's mad and then just pouts and decides he's going to go to bed and just gets into bed fully clothed and goes to sleep. I thought they both played this pretty well. It felt yeah, real. It did. He played drunk really well. Mm-hmm. She was playing it like she was annoyed, but like wasn't being a total jerk to him. Right. She wasn't like, I'm going to have a full fledged fight with you, but like, I'm obviously not excited about this. I'd rather be sleeping right now. Yeah. And I know this is going to affect my day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You weren't thinking about that. The only thing that's confusing to me is the timeline here that, like, he does know about this New York Times thing, but, like, did he know before now? Probably. But, like, she found out today, so. I'm assuming she told him about it when she's like, I'm staying here tonight, but he probably just got drunk and forgot. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lorelai is preparing for the shower at her house. She's got a sign that used to say, congrats, it's a boy, but Lorelai has just drawn an S at the end. Congrats, it's a boy's. <laughs> She stops by Mrs. Kim's to grab some pictures of Lane and where she finds out that Mrs. Kim is not going to go to the shower because she's having a mysterious fight with Lane and Lane knows what she did. Just like Victoria and Michael. <laughs> yeah. Lane did the same thing that our listeners did. So we're going to give Lane a shout out. Great job, Lane. Thank you Thank so you, much. Lane. You, you know, know what you did. <laughs> it's very nice of you. Lorelai realizes that she needs to broker peace between Mrs. Kim and her daughter. She knows that Mrs. Kim missing this baby shower is going to be bad news for both of them. So she goes back to Lane, who tells her the fight started because she and her mother had some differences of opinion about how these children are going to be raised. Specifically, Lane told her mother that her kids are going to be able to eat fried shrimp, which is dirty food that Mrs. Kim does not approve of. And she also said that her kids are not going to go to church or have to read the Bible. And so that very much upset Mrs. Kim. There's a couple funny things we skipped. So Suki's just like not helping Lorelai decorate for the party because she says mm-hmm. like her babies want her to sit on the couch. She's also like reading old magazines because she like hasn't had time to catch up on them. I feel like there was a bit when she was pregnant in the past about like getting emotional reading old stories or something. No, oh, maybe. She was like reading about old breakups when she was pregnant in the past and getting sad about it. But the other thing that's funny is Mrs. Kim is like driving a hard bargain with a customer when Lorelai comes in <laughs> Yeah, but that's funny. But then when Lorelai comes in, she's like, how's business? And Mrs. Kim's like, oh, you know, people die, go bankrupt. There's always furniture to sell. <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So Lorelai goes back and forth playing intermediary between the two of them. It's more like a negotiation, really. Like she's like going between them like Lane's willing to do this. What are you willing to do? Well, she points out to Lane that, you know, maybe her kids are going to want to read the Bible. Yes. They might rebel against this like rebel life Lane wants them to have and go back to how Lane's supposed to be for Mrs. Kim. Yeah, because Lane's point of view isn't that they can't read the Bible, but her thoughts are like, they're going to do what they want, and because they're going to want to do what they want, they're obviously not going to want to read the Bible. But Lorelai's like, well, maybe they will, and then you're going to let them, right? Yeah, so she goes back to Mrs. Kim saying, all right, Lane's going to promise for one year they won't eat shrimp because babies don't eat shrimp. 
Which is like a pretty lame middle ground. But Mrs. Kim does not meet in the middle at all. No. <laughs> She's just like, and they'll go to church constantly. They'll only eat food I cook. I mean, like her, her terms are not in the middle <laughs> whatsoever. It seems though that sh- this is a negotiation for her though. Like you're going to send this back to Lane and you're going to come back with something a little closer to the middle. That's how yeah. I felt. Mrs. Kim says, like, you don't understand, like, your daughter doesn't reject everything you stand for. Lorelai's like, well, she doesn't reject everything you stand for. You guys are just different. And she's like, you know, I get it. God knows my mother and I had our differences. And then Mrs. Kim says, yes, God does know. That was so funny. Yeah, God does know. Yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Kim's point of view is like, my grandkids are going to go to hell and I can't just... Do nothing about that and let you raise them this way. Well, she doesn't say that, though. Kind of. She's like, she's going to raise them as heathens. I know, but I mean, I feel like the thing saying they're going to go to hell is a bigger thing than like, they're going to be culturally different than me. Maybe. Is she worried about her mother going to hell? I know. You brought this whole thing up when Lane had her wedding that like, if her mother was a Buddhist, by that logic, her mother might be going to hell if she's not a Christian. And she seems fine, one, lying about her own religion in that case. So it's, I'm not going to go into it, but it's it's a little nonsensical. I do feel like Mrs. Kim is probably worried about that for her grandchildren, though. I mean, raises them outside of the church she believes in. Lorelai eventually does get through to Miss Kim, saying that if you don't do this, it's going to put a rift between you, and you're going to maybe end up missing out a lot on your daughter and grandson's lives, a lot like my mother did. This works. Oh my gosh. They just cut to Mrs. Kim and she's like got this emotional little face. Yeah. She's like crying. There's no dialogue. She just is like, yeah, I don't want that. Yeah. The woman that plays Mrs. Kim is so good at these like scenes. Like emotion just under the radar, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like she doesn't say it, but you could tell she's emotional. So this works. Lorelai brings Mrs. Kim over to Lane's. Then she speaks for Mrs. Kim, kind of like she's a lawyer at Luke's <laughs> child custody case. She's Per Mrs. Kim's request. She's like, yeah, you Mrs. Say Kim's it. like, you say it. <laughs> but she brokers that piece. It's all good until Lane has a contraction. And then Mrs. Kim has her rush to the ER to check. It's a false alarm. She's not going to labor. But the doctor said that she has to be on bed rest, which is a problem because that means she can't have a party. Because the party's at Lorelai's house. And you're going to be at a party just in a bed? I mean, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. They don't say how long it is until she's supposed to have the babies. I feel like bed rest could be like couch rest. I know. They have her like all covered up too. Like, do you have to be tucked into bed? I feel like you just aren't supposed to like walk around, do work. Yeah. How did you get from the hospital to your bed? Like, I feel like she could very slowly and carefully go to Lorelai's house. Was it Suki on bed rest? Yeah, I don't know. They had a golf cart for her. That's right. She was like in bed at the end. Get that golf cart. Mm Mm-hmm. Lane is really bummed that she's not going to be able to have this party. She goes on to say, it's going to be my last party. And Mrs. Kim thinks that Lane's being kind of selfish, that she's not going to be able to have this party. And Lane explains that this was going to be her last party because Mrs. Kim, her mother, did everything for Lane. And Lane, likewise, is going to do everything for her kids. So this was going to be her last party about herself. Saying this moves Mrs. Kim a lot, who then just demands Lorelai find a way to still have a party. <laughs> Everyone's always demanding Lorelai figure out gatherings. I know. It's just, I'm waiting for Michelle to pop in. Like, my other dog died. We're going to need a memorial today. It's comical how much she's demanding a Lorelai. But it's also, it was a nice moment when Mrs. Kim's like, I love my daughter. I want to do right by her. Yeah. Meanwhile, in this episode, in New York, Logan is waking up hungover and kind of confused. Rory is already awake, already dressed to the nines for her New York Times coffee chat. She's a little annoyed with him for last night, 
but stresses that he's got to be ready to drive her to Lane Shower after her New York Times chat. Quick note here. This has been bothering me. Logan has this open, like, gas fireplace in his apartment. Before we go any further, it just doesn't seem like a safe design anyway, because it's like on like a half wall. There's nothing covering it. It would be so easy to be getting dressed and like not paying attention and set your coat on fire. I guess I haven't really seen it. I haven't noticed it in the scenes. Is his like a fire pit? It looks like a vent that fire comes out of. Hmm. He's got this very unsafe fireplace, just like, again, right next to the bed where you could easily set your clothes on fire because you're not paying attention and there's nothing surrounding it to prevent you from having a shirt glide over it. But also, when he wakes up, it's just on. Did Rory wake up and be like, hey, I'm going to turn the fireplace on before I get out of here? What? If it's just a switch, it's not a lot of work. Yeah, but like, is it necessary? There's no way that that's what heats this apartment. Yeah, I don't know. Ambiance. It's just this weird detail where they're like, oh, this is fancy and different because he's rich. But also, Rory gets up and turns on the fireplace. That's insane. If it was a real fireplace, I agree. It would be weird for her to make a fire in the morning. <laughs> but maybe the maid turns it on and puts the bread in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. I like my fireplace hot and I like my bread cold. <laughs> That's the maid. That's not Logan. Logan apologizes for the night before. Rory leaves a little annoyed. Also, Logan's father's office keeps calling, and he is pointedly ignoring those phone calls. Again, this is clearly going to be related to his business fallout. Rory goes to the coffee shop to wait for her New York Times contact. She's never seen or met this guy, so all she knows is that he's bald. So she's just, like, smiling at every bald man that enters, hoping it's him. This is pretty funny, and she calls her mom. First, she says, like, how bald is he? And she's like, well, if he described himself as bald, he's probably completely bald. Yeah, Lorelai says Which that. is funny. But also she says to Rory, hey, you know what? At the very least, think about how many bald men you're making happy today by smiling at them. <laughs> we see one come in and that happens. She, it's not the guy. He just yeah. is like, okay, hey, what's up, girl? Oh, I guess I'm an attractive man. It's pretty funny. Yeah. We don't see the chat, but it goes very well. Yes. She gets back to Logan's. He's sitting on the couch watching basketball pretty loudly, not dressed for the party. Side note, I feel like the writers, whenever they're writing a man being a little annoying, they just have him watching basketball loudly. They did the same thing with Chris earlier this season. Never has basketball been on in the background, let alone any TV show. But apparently this season, men are watching basketball all the time. Maybe it came out in March. Oh, uh, it might have. That would make sense then, I guess. I'm going to look. Mm, I, I think both episodes in question aired in February. But that'd be leading up to March, where there's probably other big games. Yeah. My thought is it's probably free to show a basketball game, where if you're mm. going to show like a TV show, you'd have to pay for the rights for it. I see. Which they have. They've showed clips of movies that they're watching. But if they don't need to do that for just an establishing shot, it might just be easier to throw sports on. Surprise, surprise, Logan is not going to the wedding shower. It's a baby shower. Yes. He's not going to either. Surprise, surprise, there's a baby shower. He thought it was a wedding shower. He's surprised. (laughs) Logan is not going to the baby shower. He sits Rory down and tells her the truth about his company and how it failed and how it's all his fault, how he lost all his money, all his investors' money, and a bunch of his dad's money. And it's not good. And he points out that it's his fault. He didn't do enough research on the background of this. And he's being sued. And he just found out last night that there's just nothing that he can do. He's going to have to settle, which is why probably he got so drunk the night before. Rory is very supportive. She's like, oh, that sucks. Like, we're going to get through this. Like, anything you need, let's talk about it. She's like, I can come right home from the shower and we'll talk. He's like, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to blow off some steam and I'm going to go to Vegas with Colin and Finn. 
which sounds like a little bit of old Logan poking through. She's not yeah. super pumped about that. So she's like, all right, we'll, we'll talk about this later. It's tough, right? Is, is what he's doing is, is completely irresponsible? Like, yes and no. He lost a ton of money, but, like, he's probably depressed about it. Like, blowing off steam isn't crazy. I think it's worrisome because he blew off steam the night before. So she's like, is this going to be a thing now? Right, right, right. Is this like a downward spiral? Also, him blowing off those showers, kind of whatever. We didn't, like, see her ask him to come. So I don't know that he realized how important it was to her. Because we hear her tell Lorelai later that she was, like, literally looking forward to introducing him to everybody. But we didn't, I don't know that she expressed that to him. Right. Maybe she did. Because he hasn't been to Stars Hollow that I've seen. Yeah, I don't know. He came to Lorelai's inn. Mm-hmm. to try to get her to help him get back with Rory. But we haven't seen him, like, walking through the town with Rory or anything. But anytime Finn and Colin are mentioned, especially when you factor in something like a plane and gambling, it's probably a lot of bad decisions being made. At the diner, Zach is still filling in for Lane. He seems very into being a waiter, which, again, is weird to me. There's a guy who's sending back his oatmeal because he wanted steel-cut oats. And it seems like the guy might be being finicky, but I'm going to be honest with you. They're very different, and they should have been marked on the menu. And steel-cut oats are way, way, way better for you. Yeah, Luke says they have it. It just takes a while. Yeah, they do take a long time. It's interesting that they don't put it on the menu as a distinction if they do have it. Kirk is there, and he's very excited about a want ad he wrote for a dinette set that his mom's selling. But then Kirk notices an exceptionally well-written ad for a boat that he reads. Turns out it's an ad for Luke's boat, which is news to Luke. Strange. Also, notably, Luke's not coming to the shower. Yes. Well, he hasn't decided if he's going to go. I don't know why he wouldn't go to the baby shower. I guess. I think at this point in the episode, it's still at Laurel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he paid to remodel and then had another man move in. You know, he might feel weird about going there. Yeah, you're right. He's going to get there and see that flat screen TV, though, and then be like, I got to move back in here. (laughs) Turns out Liz and TJ are holding onto Luke's boat. They've been storing it for him. And they want to use that garage space for their jewelry business. So they placed an ad for the bow and were waiting to hear back from any interested parties. And then they would bring that to Luke to say like, hey, somebody wants to buy the boat. Can we sell it? It's totally fair that they'd want the boat out, but that's maybe not cool to not ask him about selling it first. Oh, absolutely not. Luke is like, no, I'll just find a new place to store it. It's his dad's boat. It's important to him. Liz and Luke argue here. She says that he's being kind of like their dad, which he takes offense to. And she's like, no, listen, I love our dad. Our dad was a great guy, but he was also stuck and too resistant to change. And she says that sometimes change can be a good thing. And she doesn't want Luke to be stuck in the way that their father was. This comment seems to get to Luke. He's still like, I'll find a place for this boat. But it seems like this hasn't affected him. Because when he goes home, he calls April. By the way, great to see her on camera again. Love this actress. I know people don't like her, but I think she's great. And he suggests this summer they do something crazy and do a big road trip and go to Disney World. April's like, I can't imagine you at Disney World. And also, you don't have to do this. I'm fine just hanging at the diner like we used to. You know, unchanged. Luke seems sad about this. And we should talk about this a little bit because it was a little confusing to me what this meant. Because going to Disney World is a big change. It's not something he would normally do. So it seems like he's trying to do a change and April's shooting it down. You suggested that maybe April's like, yeah, that sounds cool. But like, I kind of want to see my friends in Stars Hollow. Yeah, she doesn't say that. But I feel like she would want to not be in Florida the whole time she's with Luke. Right. But what is Luke doing here? Is he trying to like take steps to change? Or is it like, hey, I'm going to change in a way that like, doesn't really change my life like it's the excuse for the change is that it's for my daughter yeah well you've also pointed out that maybe 
you know, he was inspired to do a small change, but then her saying, no, that I can't imagine you doing that was essentially like another person he cares about pointing out that he's not someone who changes, that that's an absurd behavior for him, the guy who has a routine and is always the same kind of guy. Yeah. Now two of the most important people in his life are like, you don't change. It's weird to think about you changing. I don't see you as a guy that could ever change. Which seems to get to him. And in April's case, she's like accepted that. Yeah. Not saying it's a bad thing, but yeah, it hits home with him. I think she might be fine with it. She might be a little fine with no changes, too. Well, then that sparks something in Luke, and he decides to make some big changes, and he sells his dad's boat to Kirk. I want to mention that last time we checked, the boat was not complete, but it seems to be complete now. Yeah, I think there's still some stuff it has to do. Kirk says as much. But did the boat shrink? I feel like it came up higher on Luke before. It, like, barely fit in Lorelai's garage, and now it looks like... Well, he's been sanding it quite a bit, so it's very small (laughs) enough. Every time we see him, he's sanding it. It's, it's <laughs> lost a lot of its mass. I got to get it to fit in here. <laughs> so he sells it to Kirk very nonchalantly, very quickly. And I guess this is supposed to be some like very quick character growth for Luke. Like he just like had one conversation, one phone call. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm just going to change this trait about myself. This huge character trait. Just change it. I'm fine with it. But it was like, this is four minutes of screen time and you've changed a big thing about yourself it's not a character trait it's an item he's letting go of no i think that his inability to change yeah but that hasn't changed yet he's just acknowledging that he would like to try to change more okay sure he also you know learned how to be a romantic guy from a tape in like one episode that's true he makes big life (laughs) personality changes like very quickly he just needs someone to point something out to him and then he learns and grows very quickly yeah Lorelai has figured something out. She has moved the party to Miss Patty's where there's a lot of extra space. And she's put wheels on Lane's bed. So then Rory, who gets the Stars Hollow finally, Lorelai, Miss Kim, and Zach all wheel Lane's bed through Stars Hollow to Miss Patty's. It's really kind of a fun visual scene. Yeah, Lane's having a blast. Yeah. And they really stress that she's safe and comfortable. Did they put wheels on it? I mean, beds have wheels. Oh, do they? I guess. Ours doesn't. It does. What the fuck? Let me look. I stand corrected. Our bed is sans wheels, but my bed at my parents' house has wheels. It's very normal for a bed frame to have wheels, but they're like little. I don't think you could roll it this fast. Whatever the case is, they're using it like it's a car. They set her up there. She's in her bed having the party all around her. The design your own onesies activity is a big hit. Gil had a really cool drawing he made on one of them. And Lulu's like, Gil's an amazing man. (laughs) Uh, As is Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Gypsy does, in fact, mess up a onesie and wants to do a new one. And Lorelai's like, no, no, no. Nobody gets new ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Only got 60. Party's going great. Lane's having a great time. She's loving it. She's very thankful that Lorelai was able to make this all happen, you know, ease the fight between her and her mother and find a way to make the party still happen when she's in bed. Lane tells Rory all about what happened, all about the fight, how her mom brokered peace. I do think when Rory was on the phone with Lorelai at the coffee Mm -hmm. shop, she could like tell something was up, but Lorelai was like, eh, don't worry about it. Right. She wanted her to focus on the New York Times chat. Lane goes on to say that she suspects that she and her kids will at some time in the future need peace brokering as well. They're going to have differences of opinion. She's like, my kids are going to be hiding their Bibles. And she asked Rory if she'll do the same for her kids that Lorelai did for her and her mom. In essence, will she be her kids, Lorelai Gilmore? Oh, 
and it's super sweet. There's a little weird thing that happens here, though. Rory hugs Lane, and it's nice and sweet. And Lorelai is, like, watching this and, like, smiling, and it's, like, a little emotional. But then later acts surprised. It seemed, it seemed like you listened to all of this already. I don't think she heard. I think she was just watching her daughter and her friend, you know, still friends in adulthood. Because mm-hmm. the whole episode they've been talking about, you know, how they were younger. They're looking for pictures and they find like little pictures of them together mm-hmm. and how Rory was so cute when she was little. I think she's just like processing her daughter and her close friend growing up. I see. Mrs. Kim is also pleased and very thankful to Lorelai. She gives Lorelai a doorknob that belonged to John Adams. This is not the first item she's mentioned belonged to a president. Yeah, though, someone had knockers. Yeah, that's right. She's giving door items that belong to presidents all the time. That was so funny. It's just like a kind of whatever gift, but she thinks it's a nice gift. Yeah. I mean, Mrs. Kim doesn't express emotion well, but she's trying to tell Lorelai she's very thankful for everything. But Mrs. Kim is very strict and mean, so she can't be too nice about it. But I feel like it was it was a very nice gesture. And like you could tell she's reaching out to Lorelai in the way that she can. Oh, yeah, because she ends it by being like, make sure you give me those pictures back like in pristine condition. (laughs) Yeah. Kirk also stops by with a captain hat on. He tells Lorelai that he bought Luke's boat and named it after both of them. This is a great name for Kirk's boat, Kirk the Creep. He named it after both of them. The name of the boat is Lurk. (laughs) So funny. He invites Lorelai for like a Gilligan's Island threesome with him and Lulu on the boat. That's not the threesome Lulu's looking for. No. (laughs) She would like a a gill sandwich. She would like a (laughs) Geerk. Rory talks to her mom and says that the chat with the New York Times guy went swimmingly and she doesn't want to think about the internship, but maybe she's got a shot. Lorelai's like, let me think about it. I'm really excited about it. Rory also tells her that she's a little upset that Logan didn't come, but she gets it. He needs to blow off steam and he's acting a bit like a jerk because of the business deal. And she tells her mom how it fell through. This is also where she tells her that Lane asked her to be her Lorelai Gilmore. Yeah, and Lorelai's very excited, and she smiles, and she says, you know, it looks like my first pancake turned out okay, that being Rory. That was so sweet. It was sweet. They're doing a better job of, like, tying things together this season. I don't know why. Like, they lost Amy, and some things are bad maybe because of that, but I do feel like they do more, like, callbacks now. I mean, this is a callback to this episode. Yeah, but there was other stuff in this episode that I think referenced other episodes. Like referencing the Bachelorette party, Yeah, I feel like is something they wouldn't have done in earlier seasons. They just really didn't reference old episodes much. Right. And then Luke pops by, and he mentions that he decided to impulsively buy a new boat and sell his old one. Lorelai points out how making a big decision in a single day is very unlike Luke. Very unlike Luke. Remember when they tried to get married and it took him forever? Yeah. Well, he's like, yeah, well, things change. And then they just stare at each other for like way too long. It's supposed to be emotional, but I'm like, this would be a very awkward moment in real life to not talk this long. But I feel like that line is like, okay, things change. I've changed, so we can be together now. That's like how I'm reading that line. I don't think that's how he's saying it, but I think that's like what the writers are signaling. To the audience, sure. Yeah, it's like Luke's changed, that big problem we had last season. That's not a problem anymore. Because now he knows how to sell a boat. I mean, like, his issues, though, where he was worried about his relationship with April. I feel like he could just marry Lorelai now. (laughs) Like, his relationship with April is kind of on paper how it's got to go now. Yeah. You know, like, if that had all happened while they were engaged, would things have been different? Right. I mean, really, I think the reason they didn't get married is that boat. Yeah. And now it's gone. Yeah. He tried to sand it into oblivion, but the the boat he bought is like a house, by the way. It's got like a bedroom and a kitchen. My dad had a boat like that. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Where did it stay? Next to our house. 
But it had a bedroom and a bathroom and a kitchen? Well, I can, when you say those things, it's like technically, yes, but they're very, very compact. I see. But you could live on it for a week. You could, yeah. Like, oh. I think it had like a hot plate, you know what I mean, for kitchen. And it had like, yeah, I had a place you can lay down and it had a little bathroom. My dad also owned a plane for a while. My dad's owned a lot of vehicles. Wow. And then uh, Lorelai goes in and they sing a baby song for the cake. That's not how. There's only only sing for birthday cake. There's no other cake songs. But they sing Hush Little Baby and Lorelai's having some thoughts. Yeah, some emotion thoughts. Every time there's a big gathering like this, she has to stand in a doorway and have emotional thoughts. Mm -hmm. Any party she's planned, she waits until everyone's not focusing on her and then she thinks. She seems mostly happy, though. Well, Stacy, do you think this is a good episode? Um, yeah, I do. I thought the Mrs. Kim stuff was all really nice. Yes. It was just a really sweet episode. Yeah. We're setting up some conflict with Logan and Rory, potentially, but I don't know. There was just a lot of, like, really sweet moments with the Mrs. Kim storyline. Mm-hmm. And between Lane and Rory, between Lorelai and Rory. I'm so torn, though, because I feel like one of the big aspects of the show is that Rory and Lane have this great friendship. And this episode had some moments of friendship at the very end when Rory shows up. And obviously Rory's concerned about Lane's baby shower for sure. But it's like I I feel like we don't really get that many scenes of the two of them being really good friends. Yeah. It's like every once in a while they remind us that they're good friends. But we don't really see it very well. I don't know. She was really there for Lane when she found out she was pregnant. And Rory planned all this. Like all the ideas that are at this party were her conception. Lorelai just like executed it. I agree. It just to me, I, the friendship just seems like they're telling us about it, and I, w- I just want to see it more. Yeah, and that's just my opinion. Maybe people differ, but like I, I don't know. I want to see more of your friendship, 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 friendship. I, I don't know why I said it like that. Like I'm the Little Caesars pizza guy, but I did <laughs> friendship, friendship. It is nice that they left Lane in the show, though. They easily could have minimalized her role, but they kind of gave her her own storyline and friends. I agree on that. I don't know that I love the storyline that they gave her. Agree. Or the partner they gave her. Yeah. That was not good. I agree. But it was still sweet. It was a sweet episode. Kirk stuff was pretty funny. I thought the interactions with Rory and Logan were good and real. Like, he was kind of being inconvenient for her, but neither of them were being jerks to each other. Yeah. And it's sort of understandable why he might have been drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. All right. And now, for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Uncharged. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 7, Episode 16, The Seven Year Witch. Mm. Attacked by demons and faced with the loss of Leo. Oh shit! Uh. Piper fights to stay alive with a little help from an old friend, quotation marks around friend. Drake's life ends at midnight, and Leo's punishment has now been decided. He is sent without memories to find his way back home with the elders or the sisters. Okay. There's a lot here. There's okay. so much. Okay. Well, Drake's life ends at midnight. That's good. We didn't really know him that well, so he's out. That just kind of happened. It wasn't really part of the story. Drake, of course, is the ex-demon recently hired to work at the school that helps them last week with the cabaret mm-hmm. demon mm-hmm. incident. He's gone. Bye, Drake. Miss Drake. So seven year itch is like the belief that like after seven years, couples start to fall out of love or like be less interested in each other. So, I mean, this is when Leo and Piper are having their seven year itch, I guess. They have itches all the time, man. He's a dog. He has fleas. I know, but it's like 
scratch him, Piper. <laughs> <laughs> Who's her old friend? Um, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Tom Hanks, the neighbor. That's why it's in quotes. He's not. Yeah. they've never really been that close. Like he's been nice because he's not a. You know Tom Hanks. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be rude to you. But like, let's be honest. Doesn't mean he's your friend. He's just a nice neighbor. He comes over though because they're being real loud, and he helps them out. He helps decide Leo's punishment because they can't decide. And he's like, what if you uh, send him without his memories to find his way back home with the elders or the sisters? <laughs> <laughs> the guy that plays Q is in this episode. Well, he's the one that's sort of facilitating the punishment. Yeah. He's like this this being that shows up to like Very narrate. Q-esque. Yeah. He's like an all-powerful being that shows up for punishments and he tells Leo the rules. He's definitely an elder. The Q man shows up and is like, well, you choose his punishment. And they're trying to come up with punishments that he'll accept. And obviously, this is double-edged where, yeah, he might end up with the elders or he might end up back with the sisters, but he doesn't have any memories. Really, what they do is they set him free and they both go on the opposite sides of town and they go, here, Leo, here, Leo. Here, Leo, come here, come here. Group of elders, group of sisters. Yeah. Treats, come here, Leo. And he starts going towards the elders because they're way louder. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And they have treats. But Piper remembers what Leo's favorite treats are. Scratches. She gets the treats and is also like, I'll scratch those itches. And he's all like, I am so itchy right now. These fleas are out of control. (laughs) He goes to Piper. She gives him the treats. She scratches them all over and they're happy together. Drake is dead, but they are happy. Yes. Poor Drake. And then Q is like, punishment resolved. And he dissolves into nothingness. Yeah. First, he zaps Drake right at midnight. He's like, mm-hmm. punishment resolved, bye. And Drake's like, I didn't, uh, why? And then, uh, I mean, because they, they just had too many people in this episode. You know how Buffy can barely afford to keep all those actors? Imagine Charmed. Yeah, Tom Hanks and the guy that plays Q. There's so much money. So Piper's no longer faced with the loss of Leo. He maybe well, would have been lost to the elders, but it seems like he's with them now. But he has no memories. Oh, you don't think he got those back? I don't. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Well, they got him, but it's not the same. So hopefully they figure that out and that we remember to resolve this if it's not clearly explicitly in the synopsis. Agreed. You know, we're getting a lot of mileage out of Leo being a dog. I, uh, I'm starting to believe that he is. Yeah. Like, it makes sense so much of the time. Well, this has been Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Well, then we watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Stacy, please tell us all about Storyteller. So this episode is about Andrew... Making like a documentary of Buffy and the potential Slayer headquarters and like this whole period in history because he feels it's important for people to see it. So this story is sort of told through actual camera footage, but sometimes it's not from the camera's perspective. It's just from Andrew's perspective, like how he actually sees these events going and they're on a much grander scale than he's capable of producing with his video camera. Mm hmm. So it switches between seeing what he's actually filming and seeing what he imagines he's filming. Yeah. Or how it will look. But also some just like real shots that are from the show's cameras where Mm -hmm. he wasn't filming. So it's a little hard to talk about, but we'll do our best. So it opens on like a masterpiece theater montage. And Andrew is our narrator sitting in a big lounge chair, smoking a pipe badly. He's coughing. He's talking directly to camera, which is a little unsettling. It's weird when someone who usually is unaware of the camera is looking right at you. Mm -hmm. But he's telling us the story of Buffy, Slayer of the Vampires. That's how he says vampire every time, and I kind of hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you love it. I'm like, you know how to say the word. Why are we doing that? Did you hate it? No, I didn't hate it. Did you love it? No, I didn't love it. I was like, it's fine. 
he's talking about what Buffy did last night, which was slay some vampires in the graveyard. Typical stuff. This is all interrupted when there's a knock at the door. It's Anya. And now it's revealed that Andrew's actually just filming himself in the semi res bathroom sitting on the toilet. Yeah. Did you mention that? Like, it looks like he's on yeah. a set. Like Masterpiece Theater. Yeah. But no, he's he's just sitting on the toilet using a tripod. Anya says he's been in there for 30 minutes. What's he doing? He says he's entertaining and educating. And she asks why he can't just masturbate like the rest of them. Roll credits. That honestly is way too long to be in the bathroom with that many people in the house. Yeah, we had just made a bunch of dumb jokes in the previous podcast about how bad it is that the girls only have one bathroom but also only have one vibrator. And then we immediately <laughs> watched this episode that starts with him taking too long in the bathroom and them talking about how they all masturbate. <laughs> After the credits, we see that Andrew was there filming Buffy in the graveyard last night. He asks her why vampires show up on video. She doesn't answer, but I think that's just the show's way of being like, yeah, that's just easier if they do. So they're yeah. going to show up. And they have previously in the show. I mean, Spike filmed yeah. Buffy fighting vampires season two. And a few episodes back, we were reading that they actually would show up on any type of digital camera because they mm-hmm. don't involve mirrors. Buffy hates that he's filming this, but he insists that it's going to be a valuable record. He's telling Anya the same thing the next day after she drags him out of the bathroom. How future generations are going to want to know about Buffy, etc. Ani thinks this is all pretty stupid too, but quickly changes her tune when he tells her that she can be in the movie. Then we see a clip of him filming himself, explaining Sunnydale and the Hellmouth, the first, the seal of Danzelthar, and the Uber vamp, the whole situation. Yeah, Andrew has like made a little dry erase board that he's drawn all of the clues and story facts on, which I think is Is this the big board from the last episode? Yeah. And he's going to come back to this, too. I was going to say, like, I feel like they're setting up that this is actually important, keeping a video record. I don't. I have no comment. Okay. Like, I I feel like it will be since this is now part of it. But the next day, he's filming a typical breakfast at Slayer House. Who is paying to feed all these girls? You could argue that they're all just taking out credit cards because the world's going to end. Who cares? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe Giles has access to all the watcher money since they're all dead. It's just like Buffy could barely feed Dawn last season. She got a maybe lower paying job and now has like 100 girls to feed. Yeah. Then he films some introductions of various characters. The important ones. Sorry, Amanda. That <laughs> <laughs> was funny. He's like telling him he's going to film in Joe's and she starts to. He's like, mm, not you. <laughs> he starts with Buffy. This is now where we're seeing like his fantasy version of how this would look because Buffy definitely didn't film this. She's got, like, a wind machine in her hair. She's, like, sexily pouring cereal. I thought this scene was pretty funny because the idea of sexily pouring cereal is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And then Spike enters the frame, shirtless. Andrew says Buffy and Spike have some kind of history. You can feel the heat between them. Although, technically, as a vampire, he's room temperature. (laughs) And then Anya slides into the frame, just, like, sexily feeding herself grapes. (laughs) He does Anya's intro. Then it pans over to some random girl. He's like, this lovely girl, I don't remember her name. (laughs) (laughs) It cuts back to reality. Buffy's like, ugh, is he doing that again? Can we make him stop? But pretty much everyone else besides Buffy doesn't think keeping a record of all this is such a bad idea. I mean, I do. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I don't see why not. I get why it's annoying. But Buffy's maybe just in a negative mood because of the vision she was shown last episode. Remember, the Sumerian dude showed her that there's like a million more Turrican waiting in the wings? Mm Mm-hmm. She starts to tell everyone about this, 
But Andrew leaves the room and starts talking to the camera. Like, it's right, pretty she's funny. Getting to the good part. It's a lot like the Zeppo, where like she's like, "This is the real important stuff," and he's all like, "Anyway, here's about me." Mm-hmm. He's like, "Yeah, these motivational speeches of hers tend to go on a little long, so I'm going to take this opportunity to tell you a little about myself." This is also funny because she has been doing a lot of motivational speeches, and yeah. then watching Willow in this scene was so funny. He explains that he was formerly a supervillain, and then we see a pretty dramatic reenactment of him with the trio that definitely never happened. They're just, like, plotting a way to make Buffy super magnetic, but he's, like, the lead on the project, which was never the case. After this little interlude, he pans back over to Buffy, who's still talking. We also see that Willow's super bored with her speech. She's, <laughs> like, yawning, trying to power through. Kennedy comes over and acts all cutesy with her, and Andrew lets us know that this is good. Since things have been a little weird between the two of them ever since Kennedy got little glimpses of Dark Willow. He also explains that he once had an encounter with Dark Willow. And then we see his perspective from that scene from the end of last season where Willow was trying to attack him and Jonathan at the magic box. But it's not working because Anya was doing a counter spell. But the way Andrew tells it is that he was blocking all of her spells and that's why it wasn't working. Yeah, it's the same footage of Willow, but different footage of him and Doyle. Yeah, Jonathan. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy has finished her speech. Andrew says that usually means it's because she has to go to work, and she is. That's also funny. <laughs> she gets to the school and sees some boys having a little fight club in the hallway. She also notices there's a girl going invisible. She's like, hey, shy girl, don't do that. She slaps her, and the girl <laughs> stops disappearing. She's just super psyched that someone noticed her. This is a reference to Out of Mind, Out of Sight, where that girl went invisible because she wasn't being seen by people. We're getting a lot of references to earlier episodes. Okay, yeah. So then a girl comes out of the bathroom crying because the mirror told her she was fat. And a dude says he feels like he's going to explode because he's so stressed out about homework. Are those references to old things? I don't remember what The mirror thing is similar to something that happened in the first episode of this season, Lessons. Okay. That girl was like, that Dawn finds. And the exploding guy? The exploding guy is not something that is a clear map onto a previous one. Okay. Well, Buffy tells him that he should get a foot rub from one of his friends. What? Yeah, to calm <laughs> down. <laughs> this just, I think it's worth mentioning. This episode also mentions, like, the Go Fish swim team monsters and also, mm-hmm. like, the hellhounds from the prom. And the guy is fighting. That could be whatever, but that could have also been sort of like a hyena type thing. Sure. Well, she goes in to talk to Principal Wood, who is tending to a wound on his head because some kids were throwing rocks at him. Buffy explains to him that the Hellmouth must really be acting up because she's seen all this type of stuff before, just never all at once. This is where she says some of those other plots that we've seen before. But like the ones we're seeing here aren't all references. It was just a little weird. They could have all been. That would have made more sense to me. Well, I mean, I think that it does. I mean, she says like anything you think is true. The Hellmouth can make true. So I feel like some similar experiences that teens would have would lead to some similar outcomes, but it doesn't have to map on perfectly. Yeah, this is interesting, too. She explains that the Hellmouth can kind of take the way you feel about something and make it truth. For example, high school can feel like war. So the Hellmouth is now kind of causing a war between the students. But Mm -hmm. is that something the show has really spelled out before? I don't think so. But I think that's how they're justifying the rest of the behavior of the teens in this episode. Like, that's a clear theme in the show. The monsters of the week sort of reflect high school themes, but I don't think that's quite ever been explained in these terms. Agreed. As she's explaining this, dude does explode in the hallway, and Buffy's like, you really should have gotten that foot rub. That's (laughs) insane. A dude's head explodes, or his whole body explodes. She's all like, wah, wah. (laughs) I know. 
Okay. They don't cancel school. I know that would end school. (laughs) A kid blew up. Her and the principal are trying to figure out what to do. She suspects the seal has something to do with it. And all the hellmouth energy is trying to come out of there. It's affecting the people at the school. So they go to look at the seal. Principal Wood gets real close to it to start to inspect it more. She explains that Willow tried to research the symbolism of the goat on it, but came back with nothing. And he's like, do you trust her, though? Why do any of you trust each other? You've all been evil at some point. It is true. She's like, yeah, some of us, but not me. And then his eyes gloss over, and he gets like a creepy Beauty and the Beast beast voice and says, evil is what evil does. You're screwing that vampire, you filthy whore. And she slams him against the wall, snaps to, seems like the Hellmouth maybe took hold of him briefly. They're like, yeah, we gotta shut this shit down before the seal starts affecting everyone. Buffy's like, yeah, I know just who to talk to. It's Andrew. Because he fed the seal its first drop of blood. And then a little baby piggy goes jogging by. <laughs> Remember? Andrew's Great line, though. Trying to kill a pig in that room. Great line from the principal. Because then he sees the pig go. He doesn't know the story about Andrew. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, God, I hope that's not a student. <laughs> so funny. Does Buffy know about the pig? I don't know. Also, has the pig just been in that room this whole time? We've done a lot in that room since. I think it's just been in the basement this whole time. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at home, Andrew's doing some more filming, starting with Dawn. Buffy had told Dawn and Amanda not to go to school today because of her Turacon vision. Dawn and Andrew's relationship is so cute. They seem to, like, really enjoy each other in the sweet, platonic way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of growing over the last few episodes. They barely interact, but he tells her her smile, like, lights up a room or something. She giggles. He also explains that Dawn used to be a key, but no one really knows what that means. I love that they're just like, yeah, we don't, we don't know. That's done. We're not going to do anything more with that. Even though we could do something with it, we're not. We're not going to. Don's nobody. He filmed Spike, who's acting like he doesn't want to be filmed. That was funny. He's like telling him to get out of his face with that camera. But then when Andrew tells him he's not lit right, Spike's like, oh, right. And just starts it all again, telling him to get out of his face with the camera. Clearly an act. (laughs) So he wants to be on camera, but he wants to seem like a tough guy, I guess. Yeah, that's the idea. Then he films Willow and Kennedy making out on the couch. He's like, oh, here's something the viewers will be interested in. But then he pans up a little to show the fine work Xander did on replacing the window sash. and says Xander's extraordinary. I mean, I think that like solidifies that he's gay, right? Yeah. Or at least like asexual. Because he seems in love with Warren for sure. Yeah. But I think he might be in love with Xander based on something yes. that's about to happen. But I thought that line was so funny because it's it's clearly it seems like he's like, oh, girls making out. Nope. It's this uh, woodcraftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it could just be read that he's not turned on by sex. But yeah, later he's interviewing Xander and Anya. His opening question being, I understand exactly one year ago today you left Anya at the altar. Any comment on that? <laughs> Xander admits it was something that called for an apology, but he stands by it being the correct decision. Andrew's basically like playing therapist, and they kind of start to wonder if they maybe are still in love. Andrew eventually leaves them alone to talk. They both admit they still love each other, but aren't sure if that means they should actually be together. But they do miss each other and maybe want to be together. It is then revealed that Andrew maybe wasn't in the room, but did have the camera rolling during this conversation, because later we see him watching and re-watching this little scene, mouthing along yeah. with Anya's lines. <laughs> so it does seem like he's in love with Xander, like he wants to be in her shoes. Or he's just like invested so much in their story, and that's the role he would associate himself with. Sure, that's true. Because he wasn't saying Xander's lines. Right. 
Buffy and Principal Wood come in and interrupt this. They're like, you got to come help us with the seal situation since you're the one that started all this. But it might be too late because we see a group of high school kids go down to the steel and start a little bit of a chant. Starts glowing. Before we deal with that, we get a flashback to Andrew and Jonathan's time in Mexico. They're sharing a bed, but having some trouble sleeping because they're both being haunted by visions of things to come in season seven and also the cheese man. Yeah, it's pretty funny little Easter egg because they have a lot of quick flashes of stuff. Like the Toracon, the seal... People being hurt. I don't know. And then very quick, two quick flashes of the cheese man from Restless, which is a really fun callback, I think. Yeah. Why? Just because they can? Yeah. It maybe like blends in pretty easily with the Touracon. You said you'd never noticed it before? I didn't notice it the first time, no. Let us know if you've ever noticed it. There's like one second shot of the cheese man and one like of the cheese, I think, in the part where he's showing it to Willow. Yeah. Jonathan's like, I don't deserve this. I wasn't even that evil. And Andrew's like, hey, I thought you were evil. (laughs) Jonathan thinks this is very sweet. Back in present day, they've all got Andrew like tied up in the living room. I don't know if he's tied up, but they're sort of interrogating him in the living room in a chair. Willow's holding a glowing orb charm in front of him that's supposedly going to help him remember stuff about the seal. They want to know how he made it happen, how he knew what to do. He doesn't want to do this. He just wants to document. They tell him to stop getting off topic. He says it's going to get relevant in a second because Jonathan's going to go to the bathroom. What? But back in the flashback, (laughs) Jonathan excuses himself from bed to use the bathroom. And while he's gone, Warren, the first, appears to Andrew, wanting to know if he got the knife and wants it to show it to him before Jonathan comes back from the bathroom. Andrew's like, oh, it'll be a while. He's got a shy bladder. And then he asks him if he's okay. Jonathan's like, don't talk to me. I'm fine. (laughs) Andrew's like, yeah, so here's the knife, but... Jonathan's been kind of a good friend to me lately, so I don't really want to stab him if that's cool. Warren's like, oh, yes, you do. If you kill him, we'll all be living as gods. And then Andrew has this vision of them all, like, prancing in a colorful field of flowers, dressed as little cherubs in front of a pile of gold, and a (laughs) unicorn runs through. They're playing harps and singing about other gods. Yeah, it's pretty silly. They flash back to it again briefly later. But when Andrew returns from his fantasy, Warren is telling him that there is power in that knife and he needs to drive the words deep into Jonathan. Willow is very interested in that part about the words on the knife. Andrew tells them the knife is in the kitchen with the other knives because he's been using it as a steak knife. So steak is in this food budget? (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, Buffy like barely scraped by enough. It's steak night. Steak, like the food. Every other night is like wooden steak night, yes. But tonight, we're eating we steaks. Maybe Buffy has life insurance plans on all of these Slayer girls. And so every time one dies, it's like a windfall. <laughs> She's like, it sucks that Kimberly died. But it does mean treats tonight, everybody. I guess it's possible that these girls' parents are supporting them, like contributing money. Sure. You know, Buffy's like, hey, I'll keep your daughter safe if you send us hundreds of dollars a week. Be a shame if something would happen to your daughter. <laughs> Buffy's just running a huge scam. Just kidnap these women for money. Willow, do more of those fake first projections. <laughs> <laughs> Kennedy retrieves the knife. There's a demon language on it, which Andrew can read, since he knows demon stuff. It says, the blood which I spill, I consecrate to the oldest evil. So Buffy, Spike, and Principal Wood, sorry, she calls him Robin now. So Buffy, Spike, and Robin are going to take Andrew down to the school to have him try to talk to the seal in this language to tell it to stop, (laughs) I guess. Things at the school are real bad. 
The students have drawn some hard lines between groups, like the marching band, the cheerleaders. I guess there's no one in both groups. You had to pick a side. Yeah. You can't be a cheerleader if you're in marching band. There's like graffiti everywhere. Lockers are broken. It's very post-apocalyptic. Logan's fire is just burning in the hallway. <laughs> Spike's like, huh, some way to run a school, Principal Wood. There's probably some injured kids here. And the principal's like, oh, yeah, easy pickings for the likes of you. So they're in a bad place. Yeah. Andrew's filming all this. He points out that there's also something going on between the two of them. He calls it sexual tension. You could cut with a knife, I guess. That's <laughs> one way to see it. The students have just gone completely feral. There's one kid yeah. just like crouching creepily on the stairs looking at them. It's full Mad Max at the school right now. Pretty soon they just start getting attacked by kids for no reason. Probably because they think they're cheerleaders. <laughs> Buffy was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Spike's blonde. Andrew's worried he's going to get struck down before he gets his redemption. So they fight back. Spike's beating up one. Buffy's like, Spike, don't kill them. They're just students. And he says, they'll live. And he keeps hitting them. Yeah. Buffy drags Andrew down to the basement, leaving Principal Wood and Spike to fight off the rest of the students, or maybe each other. Andrew's still filming. Buffy takes his camera. She really doesn't want this to be filmed. And he's getting really sick of her calling him a murderer and says that's not what happened. She's like, you, you stabbed him to death. What were you trying to do? Scratch his back from the front? <laughs> that's a funny line. Andrew's like, well, it was confusing. And then we see what happened. Him and Jonathan were digging. Warren was there telling him to stab Jonathan. Jonathan starts to realize this is weird. He's like, who are you talking to? He realizes Andrew's like betrayed him and is going to kill him. He sees he's holding a knife and gets a little freaked out. So they're like tussling. Warren's telling him he's got to do it or he'll haunt his soul and hate him forever. So in all this aggression, he ends up stabbing Jonathan, realizes what he's done, looks up at the sky and says, no. Is that a reference to Star Wars? It did feel like it was from Star Wars. And that would make sense. I just don't know if it's come out at this point. It'd be the Revenge of the Sith. Did that come out? No, that didn't come out until 2005. And this came out in 2003. So that's from that movie. Yeah. I don't know what he's referencing when he's like, no, but it seems like he's referencing something. Maybe Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Like Worf always freaks out. I was referring to Kirk saying, con, when his like son dies. But uh, Worf has some kind of like scream he does when he's mourning. I suppose so. Well, he's like, see, Buffy, I didn't want to do it. The circumstances made me. Buffy's like, yeah, that checks out. I saw the seal possess wood earlier. So that happens, man. No worries. Andrew's like, right. Yeah. The seal possessed me. That's what it was. And then we see a version of the same scene where his eyes gloss over like woods and he stabs Jonathan maliciously. Then again, realizes what he's done, looks up and says, get out of my brain, which was maybe also a reference. Let us know. We don't know. We tried looking it up, but came up empty handed. But if you've seen anything this is referencing, let us know. Yeah, it seems like these are referencing something or maybe they're just overly dramatic for comedy. But let us know if you know if that, what they're referencing. He must have described the second version to Buffy because she's like, okay, you totally just changed your entire story there, bud. They arrive at the seal room. They can hear the students chanting. And when they open the door, we see that the students have just become bringers, or at least they've cut their eyes out. They, they look like the bringers. Meanwhile, back at home, Xander and Anya are wrapping up some sex in Spike's bed, I guess. <laughs> They're in like a tiny bed in the basement. I like what you just, wrapping up some sex. Well... <laughs> That's a wrap. It did kind of feel that way. Mm -hmm. they, I think they are in Spike's bed because yeah. they mentioned it's too bad Buffy didn't leave the chains. They seem to have really enjoyed themselves, but Anya says she thinks it feels like it's over now. 
This was like a misdirect, though, right? Because it felt to me like this was makeup sex. Like they were going to imply that this was them getting back together. Yeah. But then Anya's like, yeah, it kind of felt like a one more time kind of thing. But Xander doesn't seem too sure. I think he doesn't feel that way after that. Sure. he. I feel like he does agree with her, but maybe just because he doesn't want to be embarrassed. or uh, He says, sure. <laughs> That's like the last line of the scene. Yeah. So TBD on these two still, I feel. Back at the school, Spike and Wood are bonding. Kind of. <laughs> Say what? Are they? Yeah, Spike like finds a piece of wood with some nails in it. He's like, oh, how'd you think they made this? And he's like, oh, maybe wood shop. It's nice they're learning. I don't know. They're just talking about wood. This wood will be important. But first, they're attacked by some students. They fight them off together. There's a moment after where they're kind of recovering, where Wood notices that this piece of wood has been snapped conveniently into a pointy shape. Mm -hmm. And Spike isn't really paying attention, so he goes in to stake Spike. But he's interrupted by another feral student. Back downstairs, Buffy's fighting all five bringers. Andrew starts filming. He's narrating about how fighting is in the air that Buffy breathes, and she always knows she'll win because there's no alternative. I don't know if she actually kills any of them. There's like a bunch of them lying there when she's done after just being like thrown against a wall kind of hard. And then one even scrambles away. So are they bringers? I know they're students and she said not to kill them. But if they're bringers now, I feel like she should definitely kill them. Yeah. And I feel like that eye mutilation might be permanent. I don't know. Uh, I also want to point out what he says, like, she fights knowing she'll win because there's no alternative. Like, I think that is sort of summed up how Buffy has decided to live this whole season. Yeah. Like, when she yeah. was fighting the Turrican, I was like, yeah, I don't have a plan if I lose. Because if I lose, it's over. So we might as well, either I win and we move forward or it's over. And the same with when she jumped to that portal in the last episode. It was like, yeah, I mean, I either make it through this or we move on. Like, it's it's one or the other. But Buffy tells Andrew it's his turn now. Seems like she kind of brought him here under false pretenses. She says that Willow did some research, and it sounds like the blood of the first person to open the seal is what's going to seal it for real. He's like, okay, cool, don't love this, but I guess this is my redemption arc. I'll give a little blood, smooth things over. But not enough blood to, like, kill me, obviously. Buffy tells him to stop telling stories. So he knows she wants to kill him. He pleads with her not to. He didn't want to kill Jonathan. The first was just tricking him. Plus, you said we could all get through this, Buffy. And she's like, yeah, well, I've been kind of lying about that. Some of us are deaf going to have to die. Most of my speeches are bullshit. A lot of us probably are going to die. Maybe me, probably you, probably right now. She holds him over the seal. He starts to cry. She's like, your blood might save the world. Does that redeem you? He's like, no, it doesn't, because I killed him. I told myself it was Warren that was telling me to do it, but I knew it was fake. He's crying really hard. He really doesn't want to die. Because he understands how Jonathan must have felt. Like, Jonathan obviously didn't want to die either. And, you know, he killed him. And then his tears hit the seal. It stops glowing. Buffy drops him down on it. She's kind of like, ha I tricked you. The <laughs> seal actually needs tears, not blood. Guess you should have gotten that foot rub. <laughs> Such a jokester. Yeah. Back upstairs, the students suddenly stop being aggressive. They just walk away. Wood's like, huh, she got it done. Spike says she always has. And Wood says, so far. For now. For now. Back at home, Andrew's doing one last bathroom confessional. He admits that he killed his best friend. And that he's worried he's not going to live through this big fight that's coming up. And he says, I guess that's probably the way it should be. He doesn't really know what else to say and turns off the camera. Hmm. That's the end. It's sort of like a poignant ending. Like a downer. Yeah. So... 
Brian, was this a good episode? Yeah, I think I like this one a lot. Some people really don't, but I do. I think it is very effective in its last part, like him turning off the camera. It just felt really real and it's like sad and, and serious. And it was good because they had juxtaposed that with so many funny things throughout. So it really stood out. And I feel like the episode does so much. It's it's very funny, repeatedly. It is a great episode in giving us context for things from a perspective that's not the characters that we know or that we're used to. So we're going to we get information about Willow and her relationship with Kennedy. No one would say these things out loud except for the scenario they wrote, which is he's telling people who are unfamiliar with their relationship. We also get to make fun of things that are happening in the show, like Buffy's long speeches, stuff like that. So it pokes fun at the show, kind of breaking the fourth wall. It's also finally letting us understand what we want to do with Andrew's character, because he was just a bad guy who was a whiny little bitch. But now the show is like saying like, no, he's a he's a full drawn character. Like, yeah, he's this little whiny boy, but like he is a human and he isn't just evil. This is the episode where I finally was like, okay, I feel like we could possibly redeem Andrew. I think Andrew's issue is that he's just super submissive and like doesn't want to be the leader. He wants to be like the follower. And so he's followed the wrong people. That doesn't justify what he did, but like it's a little bit more understandable. It's not that he's just like, oh, I'm evil. It was just like he followed people who were evil. Yeah. Now he follows someone who's not. Uh, like I said, it's very funny. One or two of the jokes didn't hit for me, but a lot of them really did. And this ending I thought was emotional and good. I loved all the callbacks. Like I said, a few times, very funny. The God, I hope that's not a student. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm just going to sing its praises. I thought it was a great episode. I really liked the last scene with him and her over the seal. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a fun twist. I mean, it seemed like they're clearly trying to redeem him, but I definitely feel like he's maybe even redeemed now or clear he isn't going to switch back to being evil. Mm -hmm. It was really funny. I like some of like the stylized stuff. That was really funny. But yeah, I don't, I didn't love it. The format was weird. I don't mm -hmm. know. And a lot of people don't. I like Andrew. He's very funny. I think they overuse him. Because, mm -hmm. like, we're wrapping up this epic show, and it's, like, barely about Xander and Willow at this time. But we're, like, yeah. a lot of screen time goes to him. Yeah. It just feels weird. No, it you. seems like he's a beloved character, and they're just like, yeah, give him a ton. Give him a whole episode. We don't know what Xander's deal is anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I kind of just feel like they don't have enough to do with Xander. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I don't know. I, I felt like the format was... I don't want to say it was confusing. I didn't really have a hard time following it. And I enjoyed it more on the rewatch. But on the first watch, I was kind of like, what is this? This is so different than the regular show. And like, we're in the middle of a bunch of shit on the regular show right now. I feel like it's a weird departure. Yeah. But on the rewatch, understanding the whole picture, I, I appreciated it more. I didn't hate it. I've disliked episodes more, but I, I wasn't in love with this episode. Hmm. I just, I don't care about Andrew's redemption that much. Like, I figured they would do it, but it needed to happen. I'm just... I don't know. That's how I feel. Okay. Well, we have to decide which one was better. Which one do you think was better? I have a feeling I know. I think it's Gilmore Girls. I think we're going to disagree this week. I think we are because I'm going to have to say it was Buffy. I really like Storyteller. I thought it was a really nice episode of Gilmore Girls. There was just, there was like two or three things in Buffy that I feel like hindered it. The We Are Gods thing was a little silly and like his flashback to him planning with Warren was a little silly. Yeah. And Buffy's, like, nonchalance about some kid exploding was a little, like, really, guys? For a joke, you're just fine with a kid exploding? But other than that, I Storyteller really hit me. I liked it a lot. And, and not that much happened in Gilmore Girls. We had some nice em emotional moments, but, like, plot-wise, barely anything happened. Which can be fine. That doesn't have to happen. I mean, it could just be an episode that you enjoy. I also thought the high school stuff was a little silly. 
Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it was these just like feral students without like a real explanation for it. Or I don't know. It just was never that scary. Agreed. And it felt like they were sort of trying to do callbacks to the past, but could have pushed that further. Sure. I agree with that too. It was not perfect and it missed some opportunities, but I'm still saying it was a good episode and I am voting for it over the Gilmore Girls. I said the Gilmore Girls. Someone's going to be mad. Yeah. Interested to see what you guys think. If you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 7, Episode 17, Lies My Parents Told Me. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 7, Episode 17, Gilmore Girls Only. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. How do you feel about cold bread and open fireplaces? What would you draw on a onesie? What do you think about Luke's dramatic character change in this episode? Do you guys think they're focusing too much on Andrew this season? What callbacks from Buffy do you think they could have done that they didn't? Let us know. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches, and more. Or you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash brianandstacy, where we post weekly video recaps of Angel, host monthly live stream wash parties, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Patricia McLeod. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bio. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Scott's blog or wherever, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Um, Brian, I've, I've brought your mother here. I want you to apologize to her and figure your shit out. Um, okay. I didn't know we were fighting or that she was, she's been in the bedroom this whole time. Yeah. She, she's been fighting with you and she's got some thoughts about how you're living your life and we're going to, we're going to make some compromises. All right. Well, I'm going to hide my Bibles and, uh, let's have this conversation. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Thanks for tuning in guys. Bye. Bye.